This is Health Yeah, your weekly update on what's going on in the health, wellness, and medical world with Monica Robbins. Hey everyone, thank you for choosing Health Yeah, your prescription for clear, concise medical health and wellness information. Also, welcome our companion podcast for this particular episode, Recovery Roads with Monica Robbins. Today, we're talking about how the medical profession is attacking the continuing opioid epidemic, the history behind how prescribing practices were the catalyst in the epidemic, and how this is the fourth opiate epidemic to hit the country since the Civil War. But there is something about this one that makes it different. The question is, what are medical schools doing to combat the problem, and is there a risk of something similar happening again? My guest is Dr. Ted Perrin, co-medical director of St. Vincent Charity Medical Center's Rosary Hall, the only hospital-based addiction treatment center in Northeast Ohio that provides a full spectrum of the most current treatment options. Dr. Perrin is also a professor in medical education at Case Western Reserve University. The Case Medical School is one of very few in the country that has been teaching medical students about substance use disorders since the 90s, but expanded the curricula in light of the opiate epidemic. Can you kind of just give me the history of how physicians unknowingly, unwittingly were part of the catalyst of the opioid epidemic? So in the 1980s, uh, physicians were trained and virtually all physicians in practice back then who were trained before the 80s were trained to uh, potentially give opiates for acute pain issues, people with surgery, accidents, injuries, those sorts of things. And also um, to give opiates pretty aggressively for end of life type pain issues, uh, palliative care, hospice care, etc. And up until the early 1990s, um, physicians had historically been taught to give any opiates for chronic pain, for day in and day out pain, like backache, headache, etc. And then in the early 1990s, some hospice doctors, some palliative care doctors who had seen how well opiates worked for end-of-life care had the hypothesis without any real data, but had the hypothesis or the idea that maybe opiates would be useful for chronic pain. And so they began to advocate in the early 1990s for the use of opiates in chronic pain management. Gradually, over about five years, from about 1992 up until about 1997, that was gradually adopted by more and more physicians. Um, Hospital systems began to get on board. Um, We all know from Northeast Ohio um, how this was also fed by the pharmaceutical companies and, um, and pushed aggressively by pharmaceutical companies. And before you know it, over about a five to 10 year period of time, there was a shift in belief systems about the treatment of chronic pain, where, um, where physicians in residency programs, in medical school, um, and clinicians, regular practicing clinicians, were being regularly encouraged to give a day in and day out narcotic pain medicines for chronic pain. That resulted in, a, in at least a 400% increase in opiate prescribing in America. America was prescribing four to five hundred percent more narcotics per living human being in the U.S. than any other industrialized nation in the world, and it fed the current opiate epidemic. We'd had four previous opiate epidemics in the U.S. since the Civil War, 
and each of them tended to be on the East Coast or the West Coast and in urban areas, in inner city and urban areas. This opiate epidemic, which was begun by and fed initially by uh, prescribing of narcotics, hit suburbs and small towns harder than cities, and it hit the entire nation. Uh, for the first time ever, this opiate epidemic hit Appalachia. It hit small town Ohio. It hit southern Ohio. It hit suburbs, and it hit, hit, hit rural areas. And there had never been an opiate epidemic in the history of the U.S. to hit those parts of the country. It's because it was begun or initiated um, uh, through prescribing of narcotics, uh, primarily for chronic pain. Now that we recognize it and we've been trying to address it, when did medical schools realize this was an issue that had to be taught? Um, medical schools um, were, in general, pretty slow uh, to get to the table when it comes to identifying this issue of overprescribing of opiates as something that needed to be taught. First, med schools historically, Case Western Reserve is somewhat of an, of an outlier because we've been teaching about addictions pretty aggressively at Case Western Reserve since the early 1990s. But in general, um, medical schools have not got much about substance use disorders in general and opiate addiction in particular. Secondly, since a lot of this has to do with prescribing, and since medical students don't prescribe, it's residents that prescribe, medical schools tend to leave a lot of the education about prescribing to the residency programs, not to the medical school curriculums, which is a mistake because third and fourth year medical students spend all of their time in hospitals and clinics, watching prescribers, working with prescribers, learning how to prescribe, even though they can't prescribe yet. And so it's a mistake to leave this to the residency years purely um, because the basic principles really need to be laid down in the first couple of years of med school about substance use disorder in general, and the last couple of years of med school about the basic principles of safe prescribing of addictive drugs um, so that medical students have a background. So when they reach their residency programs, um, they've, they've already got a leg up. So med schools were slow coming to this partly because substance use disorders historically are underrepresented in the, in the curricula. And secondly, because they tended to believe that this was the job of the residency programs. In about um, 2016, the uh, AAMC, the American Association of Medical Colleges, began an initiative regarding uh, encouraging uh, curricula in the area of pain management and safe or prudent prescribing of narcotics. So that began in 2016 with a big national push in 2017 and, and uh, some follow-up since then. We've been working in this area at Case Western Reserve, as I said, since the uh, early to mid-1990s. Um, but, uh, but the AAMC really, uh, really came on board um, uh, in the in the, in the mid-2000-teens uh, to early 2020s. So if I'm not mistaken, I believe um, almost all medical schools in Ohio now have some type of curriculum um, for prescribing, but 
when you look at it, because it, it they kind of came to the table so late, are we now just seeing the doctors with the the best education coming forward? Like, do you think this is going to really make a dent? Or do you think the uh, recognition of it in years past has already done that? From 1995 till about 2010, some really misguided uh, teaching and prescribing was taught. And starting in about 2010, most of our medical schools in Ohio, I think all of our medical schools in Ohio, began in their own individual way to begin to move towards a better curriculum, both for their students, as well as higher expectations for their affiliated teaching hospitals in terms of the residency programs. So it's been a process, but it's been a process, I would say, over the last 12 years or so. That process really got a kickstart in 2014 to 2016 with a state grant to Neomed, which was an Ohio-wide, so it involved every medical school in Ohio, an Ohio-wide medical education curriculum development project, so that every medical school in the state worked with under the sort of umbrella of this grant to Neomed, examined their curricula as it relates to um, pain management and opiate prescribing come up with some best practices across the state, and then to share our curricula amongst each other. This process has been underway for about a decade now, maybe a, maybe a couple years longer than that. Um, but it really started getting traction six years ago, and especially in the last four years as these curricula kind of got well implemented. From your perspective, is it working? It's clearly working. The peak of opiate prescribing in Ohio was in 2012-2013. So that was the the high point of opiate prescribing. It escalating until about 2010. It plateaued between 2010 and about 2013. And since 2013, it's dropped by 40%. It had climbed up, as I said, four to 500%. And now it's dropped 40%. So we're still about 150 to 200% higher than we were in the 1980s. So it's still high higher than any other industrialized country in milligrams per living human being. But but it's down by by about half. Unfortunately, over that same period of time as we've seen the decrease in opiate prescribing take place, we've seen a 30 to 40% increase in the prescribing of of addictive benzodiazepines and a 30 to 40% increase in the prescribing of of addictive stimulants. So um, so on the one hand, opiate prescribing is down dramatically, but still not nearly to our baseline in the 1980s in you know milligrams per human in Ohio. Um, we've got a ways to go, but it's continuing to trend in that direction. And part of that has to do with medical school curricula. Part of that has to do with the affiliated residency program curricula. Probably more of it has to do with the affiliated residency program curricula. And then finally, um, you know, some uh, some laws and statutes about um, uh, about prescribing and, and checking the ORS reports and all of those sorts of things. What we learned about opioids, unfortunately, that's a lesson that doesn't seem to be learned regarding the other potentially addictive prescription drugs of the benzodiazepines and the psychostimulants. So that's a whole other work that has to be done then, or this curriculum is actually helping there too? Medical community got 
very organized around the opioid epidemic and belatedly, but eventually responded in some ways that make a lot of sense. Not all the ways that make a lot of sense, but some ways that make a lot of sense. And it's helping. We learned that lesson about opioids as opposed to learning that lesson about addictive prescription medicine. If we as a profession and our medical schools and our residency programs approach the prescribing of all controlled drugs, all addictive drugs, with the same principles that we're applying to opiates now, um, we would avoid what I think is on its way. A smaller but similar um, problem uh, with the relatively widespread availability and therefore diversion and abuse of benzodiazepines and stimulants. What we're seeing in the literature now, exactly like what we saw written about narcotics in 1990 and 92 and 94, what we're seeing in the literature now is some advocates saying, you know, psychostimulants have very low abuse potential and they really shouldn't be scheduled the way that they're scheduled. And uh, there really is very little risk in prescribing them and physicians shouldn't be so hesitant in prescribing them as, as they are hesitant. And that's exactly what we were told about opiates from 1990 to 1995, contributing to the, to the opioid epidemic. So partially learned the lesson, but not learned the lesson about the prescribing of addictive drugs in general. And is case teaching all addictive medication or just focusing on opiates like everybody else? Our curriculum with the first-year students regarding substance use disorders and opiate addiction in general is primarily focused on putting a human face on substance use disorders. So we have people in recovery, including alumni, who had opiate addiction as, active, as practicing physicians coming in and speaking with the medical students and being interviewed with them. So our, our, our sort of curricular goal in the first year is to put a human face on substance use disorders and to give the students the language and the ability to interview people with substance use disorders. Our goal in the second year curriculum as they're learning about neurology and psychiatry is for them to learn that addictive disease is the overarching diagnosis and different substance use disorders are just different variants of that overarching addictive disease. And then our goal in the third and the fourth year is to learn how to manage withdrawal and manage prescribing and how to identify people who you shouldn't prescribe addictive drugs to because they have addictive brains, of course, and they're gonna get in trouble and to learn how to identify people that are safe to receive addictive drugs. And if you're going to give it to them, how to monitor them so that when they enter their residency programs and actually start prescribing, they, they have a, a conceptual framework on how to identify people with high risk brains and low risk brains when it comes to any addictive drug, whether it's opioids, benzodiazepines, or stimulants. And so that's, that's what our curriculum is. And it, and it, and it treats, all of the um, controlled drugs the same. I would assume though now nowadays medical students also come in with a perspective of they likely know someone who's going through a substance use disorder. Do you find that the case as well? We certainly have. Um, you know we have our curricular intervention regarding addiction but then there's also the student-led 
um, curriculum regarding addiction. And um, our first and second year medical students have, um, have self-identified uh, the need to have some elective offerings in the area of substance use disorder in general and opiate addiction in particular. Um, and every year for the last about a decade now, there's been a student-led uh, elective uh, in the first and second year years, um, mostly focusing on the opiate epidemic, although on substance use disorders in general, um, where um, at least a third of the medical school class has taken this elective. It, it's not for credit. You know, they don't have requirements about it. They, they meet for um, six evenings uh, from six until eight o'clock at night. And the students who lead this elective each year um, often have a friend or family member who's been, who's been in a devastating way affected uh, by, by the disease. And Dr. Perrin, as always, thank you so much for your insight. Please find me on Twitter and Instagram at Monica Robbins. Like and follow my Facebook page, Monica Robbins WKYC. Subscribe and find video podcasts on my YouTube channel, Monica Robbins. Until next time, have a healthy week. Thanks for listening to Health Yeah! with Monica Robbins from WKYC Studios. Subscribe now so you never miss an update. And find more on everything you heard here on WKYC.com and on the WKYC app.